Have you checked out our brand new podcast channel, The Story Geeks Talk Disney Plus yet? If not, you need to. I have spoken. What's up, Story Geeks? I'm Daryl Smith, and I am the oldest geek in the room. On today's show, we're taking an opportunity to give you a look into what we're doing over on our new channel with a special two-episode sample of our series digging deeper into the Disney Plus show, The Mandalorian. So following this intro will be not one, but two episodes of that series. In the first episode, you'll hear Jay Shear and myself talking with Ashley Pauls and Victoria Fox about episode one. And in the second episode, you'll hear me talking with Mike Gordon and Ashley Pauls about episode two. Keep in mind, these are spoiler-filled episodes, and we dig deep into the plot and themes of the show, so be sure to watch the first two episodes of The Mandalorian before listening. And if you like what you hear, head on over to the Story Geeks Talk Disney Plus on your preferred podcast provider and subscribe to that channel. And if you want to vote on upcoming shows or topics or receive our discussion questions prior to every podcast, consider becoming a member of the Story Geeks Club. For more information on all of this goodness, visit thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Now let's dig deeper into The Mandalorian. Okay, so before I jump into the questions, I just wanted to put a couple details out there because I think I've seen people wondering about some of this stuff and it just gives context to what you watched when you watched episode one of The Mandalorian. So The Mandalorian takes place a few years after the events of Return of the Jedi and about 20 or so years before the events of The Force Awakens. So we're dealing with a gap between The Return of the Jedi and um, The Force Awakens. That's what we're time frame we're in, but closer to Return of the Jedi. For more context, Mandalorians are actually people from a planet called Mandalore. Uh, and they are a very war-minded people, a very warrior-focused culture. So that's just some things to know about Mandalorians before you actually jump in. This has nothing to do, based uh, on uh, existing knowledge, with Boba Fett. <laughs> I don't know if you will appear or not, but there is, it's, not, it's not Boba Fett. We've been told that. Correct. <laughs> so Boba um, Fett's not even technically a Mandalorian, is he? Isn't he just a clone? He's a clone of a He's a of clone a of a, yes. Yeah. yeah. I would love to get your brief reaction. Everybody on a scale of one to IG eleven, <laughs> which is the <laughs> yes, yes. In, uh, in the thing. Oh so eleven God. being the best. How much did you like episode one? And then give me the three things you liked, and maybe even if you find three things you didn't like, or maybe you hated the show, and you can easily find three things you didn't like. Either way, Victoria, what did you think of episode one of The Mandalorian? Oh man, going first. Um. I would say an IG eleven. Nice. I loved it. Um, I three things I liked. Um, I'm big on like creatures and aliens, and I miss seeing kind of the older species from the original trilogy and stuff like that. And so them having that new creature in the beginning and seeing some of the old, it was really nice for me. Mm. Um, I loved. I love the music. I think it's so different, but it's still familiar in a way, and I really love that. Um, and I loved that last like ending imagery shot and then all the concept art after it was just, it just ended so nicely. <laughs> um, three things I disliked. Um, I, it, this is like very nitpicky stuff. Cause I honestly don't have anything really bad to say. Um, I was sad that Cara Dune wasn't in it yet or like any of the other really cool women that we've seen cast. Um, mm-hmm. 
I wished that there were planet names maybe that popped up, like kind of how in Rogue One they kind of had the little planet name off to the side before they showed the person on the planet. Um, just because I'm nosy and I want to know what planet he's on. And then right. that's kind of it. I mean, the whole um, monkey lizard thing made me a little sad. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also like a little funny. So, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't have like serious critiques here. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> I loved, good. That's I love it so much. So that's perfect. IG 11, there's no way that you can go higher than that. So that's, that's, well, the best I almost you can said IG 88, but you know, oh, there you go. That would work too. Maybe it's too high. I don't know. <laughs> that would have worked. I would have liked that. Um, Ashley, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I would say I agreed with a lot of that. I would give it a nine out of IG 11. I think my mm-hmm. favorite thing about this show is how much it really does feel like a classic classic Western in the Star Wars universe, which is really the vibe that I was hoping it would go for. At least from what we know of him right now, the Mandalorian very much feels like a Clint Eastwood, the man with no name type character. And I'm all about that. The special effects were great. I thought they were almost film quality on the same level as kind of like Game of Thrones, I'd say. And I also agree about the music. It feels really different from the type of John Williams music we're used to hearing from the films, but very cool. And I think kind of adds to that Western vibe as well. There was really only one weakness that I saw, and I'd say that the plot felt maybe just a little bit thin. We didn't get to dig really deeply into any of the characters, but that's kind of par for the course with a pilot episode of a new TV show, I feel like. So I think the show is just going to keep getting better and better from here, and I really like what we've seen so far. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So very similar, very similar so far. Daryl? Well, I was going to quote our buddy Michael Young and say 10 on 10 on 10, but then you did IG-11. <laughs> That's right. I guess it's an IG-11 on IG-11 on IG-11 for Perfect. me. Yes. Perfect. Um, I really loved it. I thought it was one of the best, you know, quote unquote TV shows I've ever seen. I hesitate to even call this a TV show because oh. I feel like Disney Plus is sort of evolving us beyond what a TV show. I mean, it looked just like a movie oh totally it looked way oh, better yeah. than, than the prequels yeah the it looked just as good insane. as anything else yeah so i'm like i'm not watching a tv show here i'm watching a short movie yeah exactly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah i mean ig11 was amazing that gunfight was insane super fun <laughs> i really enjoyed um is it quill uh the character that nick nolte voiced i think it's Kroll, isn't it i have to look it up it's, you it's might be K-U-I-L-L. right k-u-i-l-l okay you okay maybe i just read it wrong so, yeah Quill. And what however it's pronounced, I really liked him. They I never said the whole, actual name. So I have no. spoken. Um and then I actually sorry, were you gonna say something? I was just gonna say this is like a really random tidbit, but if you yeah. hashtag that on Twitter, there's a little his little face is next to it. If you hashtag that on Twitter. Does it say amazing. I have spoken over and yeah, over yeah. again? <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I thought it was crazy how that character actually looks like Nick Nolte a little bit. Yeah. And then the, I think the other thing that I liked about it might actually be Ashley and Tori, something that you guys didn't like about it. I liked that we didn't get too much yet. I liked how mysterious it was mm. and how sort of really simple and basic it was. Cause for me, it seems like a super cool place to start. And then there's a ton to build on mm. into mm-hmm. really, really cool stuff to come. Yeah. As far as what I didn't like, there's really not a whole lot. I have kind of a weird little quirk about Werner Herzog, which we'll get to later oh, on okay. when we have that question. Okay. But uh, <laughs> but um, there's really not much I didn't like. I thought it was awesome. Okay. 
I gave it an IG 10 and a half. Now, the reason why is because I just feel like it'd be really hard on episode one for me to give it an 11. And I'm not one of those people who won't give a perfect score. But on the first episode, I'm like, oh, I, I'm so intrigued and I love it so much. But uh, I kind of want to see where they go with it first before I just fully dive into it's my favorite show of all time because that's what I want to say. <laughs> have you ever seen a better like pilot episode? Of a I don't. Show I don't like. I don't. Yeah, no. I don't think so. I thought it was so good. I'm like, wow, and it's probably going to get better from here. How do, mm-hmm. how do I deal yeah. with this? How do I deal with it? Yeah. The only <laughs> I mean, thing I'll say is the heroes pilot. I loved that pilot, and I just watched yeah. the Watchmen pilot, and the Watchmen pilot was phenomenal. Maybe Stranger oh, Things. Really? Stranger mm, Things. Yes. Oh uh, right. yeah, that's true. That's true. So I don't know. Pilots are sometimes easier, I think, too, because sometimes they're horrible, but sometimes they're actually they're more intriguing than the rest of what they deliver. Yeah, and I guess in this case, <laughs> technically, it's not a pilot because a pilot is right. an episode that they use to sell to the studio, right? That's and I agree, was, by the way, but... all of my positives and negatives almost fall in direct alignment with what you guys have mentioned already, but the production design is unbelievable, super, super mm-hmm. reminiscent of the original trilogy. The world building and the pacing suck you totally into it. Um, it's a total space western, which I love. Uh, three things I didn't like. Um, like Tori, I thought the music was amazing but there was like a couple tracks that really threw me like that i was like whoa that's a weird that's a weird option on that specific track so like one to two of them out of like the 10 that they used because they used quite a a variance of the same but a lot of different stuff too um some of the cameos i felt distracted by the first time i watched it i was trying to figure out like wait who is that i know who that is but let me figure it out you know like and that kind of distracted me from things. But again, they actually did panned out okay in the end. So I mean, that's not really that big of a complaint. I literally had to the, find three things. Were you waiting <laughs> for the Mandalorian to walk up to Carl Weathers and like lock arms with him and bulge their muscles out? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the scene. I was like, where is this scene? Where is it? Yeah. Um, and then there was literally only one scene where I felt the CG was not great. Every other scene, it was phenomenal. So Which that one scene? scene there's a, there's one scene when they're on uh when they're writing the blurgs yeah and they're headed away from the camera towards the edge of the cliff it's the only scene that they don't look like they belong in that space yeah um, no i i kind of hmm. so i slightly i did kind of see at one point and i'm not great at pointing out these kind of things my boyfriend is the one that'll be like oh my god did you see that and i'll be like what and I'll be like <laughs> they cut it and i'm like what are you talking about but i did kind of notice this like a little bit of a weird something when yeah. they were on the blurgs so i do agree yeah. on that but it's not quite there but but you know what like again most of the cg is so phenomenal that like that little tiny hiccup for a tv show that's amazing by the way so what oh, i'm complaining about yeah. is like <laughs> like ridiculous i don't have anything valid to complain about here well yeah that's like uh, my complaints were like really dumb i'm like oh they're just these are the things i'd like to have seen but like it's perfect that anyway so exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> And what does John Favreau really know about special effects anyway, right? I mean, he's a newbie. <laughs> that's, true, that's true. That's very true. He doesn't know anything, does he? Lion King. Um, Jungle Book. By the way, we have Jim Jim Baldwin is with us. What's up, Jim? Hey, Jim. Um, so I think most people probably caught the two cameos. For, for those of you who didn't, Horatio Sands, which is amazing that he's in there. Took me a few minutes, though. Oh, I me was too. Like, I know that voice. That's why I was so distracted. <laughs> that's why I mentioned it. It was so distracting. Horatio Sands, and then also Brian, uh, I think you not pronounce his name, Posen. Brian Posen. Posen, I think it's Posen. Posen. Okay, that'll work. Not sure. Posen, one yeah. of the two. They both appear in episode one. Uh, Horatio is the bounty, and Posen, however you pronounce his name, yeah. is the speeder pilot. 
We also saw Bill Burr in the trailer. So here's my stupid question yes. of the day. Does anybody know why there are so many comedians in this show? <laughs> Daryl, can you explain that to me? I mean, I don't know what they were thinking, but I do think that if a comedian has some degree of acting chops, they can add a cool perspective mm. to a dramatic piece. I'm not talking about like a comedian who transforms for a dramatic role, like like a Steve Carell or like Adam Sandler and like Spanglish or Uncut Gems or stuff like that. I mean, like somebody who's being funny, but in a way that fits the narrative. Uh, yeah. And I really wanted to come up with examples for you and sound smart. <laughs> and I had trouble doing that. The best one that, that came to mind is not going to sell it because it's not a good movie, but it's uh, Thomas Middleditch in Godzilla King of the Monsters, uh, which is not a good movie, but... <laughs> He was really cool. And like he was <laughs> yeah, still yeah. a little bit funny, but he wasn't overbearing. You know, it wasn't like I'm the comedy relief guy. It was right. just like I'm kind of lighthearted, and I bring that to my character. Sure, yeah. sure. But it can be distracting if they use it too much. Obviously. Yeah. Ashley, what do you think? Why are they, why are these comedians showing up here? Well, I am embarrassed to admit that I'm one of those people who didn't get either cameo, so <laughs> it just looked like a regular episode to me. So I figured maybe they're friends with John Favreau or something. They got a fun little cameo, but. That's about all I've got. Yeah. What do you think, Tori? Um, I'm like halfway where she is. I wasn't. I didn't really recognize a Horatio Sands, but I did recognize um Brian. I, I'm not sure. I don't want to slaughter his last name, but I recognized <laughs> him. I was like, I know that guy. Where do I know that guy from? Um, I kind of agree with what you were saying earlier, which was like, um, comedians can give maybe an interesting bit of perspective. Um, so I think it's it's partially them maybe trying to and i do think that they succeeded in kind of like a very subtle comedy throughout this episode which i really really liked um but additionally i don't know maybe it's you know just them kind of everyone knowing each other and wanting to involve everyone in this really cool project and kind of wanting to i don't know bring their friends in i feel like say that saying that sounds bad i'm not saying that like they're just like oh my friend like clearly your friend's also a very talented actor and you want to bring them into the mix right right potentially it's that kind of a thing i have i have a uh, a marketing business reason i think they're doing it uh right now if you look at streaming services comedians are blowing up because streaming mm. services need content and they're buying comedy specials like crazy because comedy specials relatively speaking to shows like this are really cheap to produce. It's just one person standing on stage most of the time. Right. So they're a little bit cheaper to produce. They can throw like a million dollars at a comedian, a pretty good sized comedian and get a pretty big audience for that comedian right off the bat. And if you guys have noticed, not only are the streaming services uh, doing the comedian thing, but so too are comedians doing podcasts, a bunch of podcasts. So I think that they basically are like, hey, look, free promotion. We get all these guys who are like showing up and pro probably female comedians, too, in the future. But they, they're all showing up on all of these streaming services all over the place, all of our competitors. And they're going to go on their podcast and talk about our streaming service and invite people to go and watch them in the show that they did. So that's my yeah. Disney, Disney Plus conspiracy <laughs> theory. <laughs> Interesting yeah, but, theory. Yeah. But that sort of makes Horatio Sands and Brian Posehn odd choices because they're not stand-ups per se. That's true. That's like true. they're actors. They're more they're, they're Although more I think Brian acting. has done some stand-up. Yeah. But I Bill think, Burr is a hardcore stand-up. So if he's in, I, I right. don't really know what he looks like, so I wouldn't have noticed him. But yeah, if he's going to be in it. He's in the trailer for like a half a second. 
if I can backtrack, yeah. I just thought of the absolute perfect example of what I'm talking about. <laughs> perfect comedian <laughs> in a dramatic piece. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have been watching Star Trek Discovery, mm-hmm. but season two, um, Tig Notaro is on season oh, two and has hilarious. a role, and she's fantastic. Okay, perfect. I can see her being a great actress too. That makes sense. Okay, so that was a ridiculous question, and we don't like usually do a lot of those, but I just had to throw it out there. I'm like, what is going on here? This is crazy. <laughs> But this is more what we do as story geeks. We dive a little bit deeper. So I want to ask you guys, actually, I'll start with you on this one. The Mandalorian is a bounty hunter. So do you find him as a lead character compelling? And if so, why do we want to root for him? Yeah, I think that we're drawn in right away by the sense of mystery surrounding this character. He's always wearing a helmet, so we don't get to see his face, and we kind of have to guess what he's thinking and feeling. I think humans are naturally curious. You know, we want to learn more about and try to understand what we don't know. So I think the decision to keep the title character a bit of an enigma works really well in terms of building suspense and motivating us to keep watching. And what's interesting to me is that even despite the mask, we do get to catch little glimpses of the Mandalorian's humanity, like when we see some flashes of his backstory, which looks pretty traumatic. I'm sure the show is going to dig deeper into that. And then we see him unexpectedly show some mercy to a target at the end of the episode, which I'm sure we'll get into more later. So I like this idea of starting with this very mysterious character that we don't know very well. And the show is, I think, going to peel back layers as we go episode by episode. And I'm really intrigued to find out what more they're going to reveal about this character. Mm, Absolutely. Tori, what do you think? Why do we, why do we care about it? Do you find him compelling? And then why do you root for him? I absolutely find him compelling. Um, I feel like I'm kind of in a way the wrong person to ask this question to, because I've been like, when I was very little obsessed with Mandalorians. So (laughs) I'm already kind of, I'm already there. You know what I mean? Like I'm already ready to root for this guy. Um, but, um, this is the type of series I've always, a series I've always wanted. Um, I've always wanted this kind of focusing more on the, um, bounty hunters, the smugglers, like maybe the seedier parts of society. And, um, I think really, uh, kind of going back to, um, what Ashley said, um, he has a questionable profession, but I think that we've already seen that there's some sort of honor in him the way that he reacts. And so I think that's very, very interesting. It's very interesting to see someone who has a job that, you know, it's not that cut and dry for him as it may be for someone else that has that job. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. What do you think, Daryl? I think he's totally compelling. I mean, Boba Fett was one of the coolest characters from the original trilogy. Yeah. Without having really done anything on screen. (laughs) Right. right? Right. He just was there. Yeah. He just looked cool and then got eaten by a giant dirt worm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so this is sort of the payoff for that, right? Like everybody thinks the Mandalorians look cool, whether they know the word Mandalorian or not. Right. And yeah, this is sort of the payoff. But I'm not 100% sure if I do want to root for him yet. Oh. I don't know if I know enough about him, but I'm definitely relating to him in a way. A few, th- a few things stand out. So, Ashley, you mentioned not being able to see his face. Um, and I think they do a really, really good job of giving us like his emotion despite the fact that we can't see his face, Mm. but he's clearly in a struggle with his circumstances and he's trying to overcome something. Yeah. So that's relatable to me. Um, He's willing to accept help from others Mm. like Quill and IG 11. So he sees some worth in trust, I think. Yeah. And then finding the, the Yoda like baby or I 
I have no idea what to call that. <laughs> um, uh, he like, you know, like was mentioned before he had, it gave him pause to find that. Yeah. And yeah. I think that indicates some degree of decency. within. Yeah. Him. Yeah. We are going to dive into that too in, in a bit. Um, I agree a hundred percent with everything Tori said. Cause I totally fall into that same bucket. I'm like, who cares about the Jedi? Give me some more bounty hunters. And stuff. <laughs> Honestly, and I, I always felt so bad for like being that way. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still, obviously there's stories that I love that involve the Jedi, but that's never been what's drawn me. And so to have this is just, oh, I've been waiting my whole it's life. The for best. This. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, what I, as a writer, I tend to think, I start to think too, like, okay, well, what about this character specifically? And then even characters that are like the Mandalorian. Um, so I think anti-heroes, we've done an entire show on anti-heroes before that you can go back and listen to on the, on the story geeks podcast. But I think anti-heroes are compelling because we are drawn to them for three reasons. They're doing whatever they want. So they seem incredibly free to determine their own destiny. And I think we all like appreciate that. We're like, oh, that's true freedom, man. Just run around the galaxy doing kind of whatever you want to. Um, two, I think that they aren't subject to a specific moral code, which means that we're instantly intrigued about what they will or won't do or where they'll draw the line. You can yeah. both kind of mention that, Tori and Ashley both mentioned that, which makes us want to watch them because we're compelled by which decision are they going to make in this given this situation. And then finally, I think the third reason is because I we don't know what decisions they'll make. And so we have to participate in their moral choices by asking ourselves what we would do in their shoes. Mm-hmm. And because there's, yeah. some, there's some characters where it's like, okay, I know what that character is going to do. Right. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jedi is going to make the right call. Always. Exactly. Bounty exactly. hunters that, that kind of, they could go either way. They could go either way. So you never know. So yeah, I think anti-heroes are often conflicted and because of that internal conflict, we can associate with them because a lot of times we have internal conflict. Just think about the number of times when you're like, I need to make a good decision here. And then your brain is trying to figure out how I can make a bad decision and get away with it. <laughs> right. Like, and so I think that like that, because we have that nature about us, um, it makes these characters really interesting. And I think that uh, we can root for them because we want to see people fight injustice like for example, like we we assume we tend to assume that most of the bounties are bounties for a reason. Like these people need to be captured and brought back for justice. Um, but the bounty hunter isn't sub- subject to the systemic problems that come with the institution, right? Like that come with the empire. So I think it makes just this incredibly compelling character that you're kind of like, I have to watch everything that this person does because it's so interesting and it just draws me in and makes me consider the same things. Um, so, yeah, I, I obviously love it. I think it's amazing. Um, so this question actually came from Ashley. So Ashley Pauls uh, is it, actually sent me this question. It's a great question. Um, do you guys think the Mandalorian will ever remove his helmet? And what does that indicate about his character? So actually, I'm going to start with you since it's your question. Yeah, I think that I'd like to see the Mandalorian keep his helmet on for most of the first season, just to continue that sense of mystery and to keep us guessing about his character. And I think it's so interesting to see what an actor can do behind a mask, because I think that Pedro Pascal is doing a great job adding subtleties to his performance, even though we can't see his face. Like Daryl said, you can kind of see hints of emotion, see hints of what he's thinking. And I think that's just a great testament to an actor's ability that even 
if you can't see their face, you can still see what they're bringing to the performance. And I kind of see it a little bit like Adam Driver as Kylo Ren. Like even when he's wearing the mask, we can still guess what's going on inside Kylo's head. And it's mm -hmm. a really big moment in The Force Awakens when he finally removes that mask in front of Rey and he lets himself be vulnerable. And I want the Mandalorian to take off his helmet in a moment that has a similar significance. It should be this big emotional moment, I think, that's important to both the character's personal development and the plot as a whole. I don't know what moment that could be or what it would look like, but I definitely want it to be a significant moment, kind of symbolizing him making a connection with someone or committing to a cause. But I'm really curious to see what they do with that and how long they maintain the mystery. Mm, yeah, I like that. Daryl, what do you think? I'm so torn. <laughs> um, I love the mystery of the helmet, and I think they communicate his struggle, even in the first episode, so well without having it removed. Mm. And um, nothing wrong with Pedro Pascal. Right. Uh, he's a you know, good-looking dude, whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, once you take it off, I don't think you can get that mystery back. Even mm -hmm. if even if he puts it back yeah. on for other scenes, you know what I mean? So I'm mm -hmm. like, I, I mean, I, I do want to see deeper storytelling and, and getting to see his face and stuff, but yeah. not yet. I, I might, I'd even be good for like a whole season of mystery and then have him take it off at the end of the season or something. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. that could be good. All right. Tori, what do you think? You guys have basically said everything that I <laughs> thought. <laughs> like, I think that it'll, I would prefer for him to take a, quite a while to remove it, like most of the first season. Heck, maybe even two seasons. But I agree that I think it needs to be a very significant moment whenever he does remove the helmet. Um, I also think him wearing that helmet is also, in a way, him kind of shielding himself and kind of having his guard up because it does seem like he's had a difficult past. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, hundred percent on board with the whole, you know, it's Pedro Pascal's face. I'll never be mad about seeing that. Yeah. So <laughs> if he takes it off the next episode, like it is what it is. I'm fine with it. But I, I think the mystery is, is pretty cool. And I would like to see more of that. So maybe the real mystery is if he takes it off, will he have a mustache? <laughs> That's the real Honestly, question. Yes, I've been thinking about that so much. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I think I agree with everything you guys are saying. Um, I, I started to reminisce as I was looking at this question about um, all of the moments where characters remove their masks in Star Wars, because Star Wars definitely sets masks up as ways for people to remove themselves from vulnerability and remove themselves from mm -hmm. intimacy. Yes. And yes. yet you see like when Luke and uh, Luke and Han and Chewie go to rescue Leia, he what does he do he takes off his helmet like i'm mm -hmm. now i'm going to be here with you and present with you um leia saving han in return of the jedi in jabba's palace she she brings han out of the carbonite is like just just kind of like uh holding him in her arms and she takes off her mask again showing vulnerability and showing intimacy um vader being saved by luke in return of the jedi i mean he's like big huge character moments you already brought up kylo um of course kylo is a big deal with in his interactions with ray and with others right when when he's when he's his mask is gone he's very vulnerable but when his mask mm -hmm. is on he's very much a loner um so i think as, as long as the, the mandalorian has the mask he's going to be this loner type of character and i think actually you pointed to him um being like the man with no name sort of like this loner type of character so 
I agree with you guys 100%. If they're going to reveal his face, it's going to need to be – they're going to have to give him a real good reason to put it back on after he's taken it off. It's yeah. almost like you've got to go through some kind of tragic situation where the person who he reveals himself to is is killed or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be <laughs> yeah. – so I, I need to get yeah. a mm-hmm. with people. Like, that's the kind of vibe I'm getting with this character. So, um, I think we're all in agreement on that. So – Good stuff. Uh, now, I already talked about the show not being about Boba Fett, but it obviously pays homage to him, um, including the freezing of the bounties in Carbonite. And by the way, I changed this question a little bit on you guys, so this is going to be a little bit of a little bit of a change from what I sent over your way. Um, and by the way, I think that the freezing Carbonite was actually Vader's original idea, right? I don't think that was a Boba Fett idea. It seemed like it was a Vader thing. I, I couldn't I just I always just associated it with Boba Fett so I thought it was like a, when I watched the show I'm like oh that's just what a Mandalorian bounty hunter does or uh, I don't know I just I, felt like it uh, didn't stand out to me well because Boba Fett tells Vader like he's no good to me dead kind of like like if you're gonna do this mm, yeah. you gotta work right so yeah. um so well, my thought process I, is, go ahead so sorry uh so I did like a smidge of research on this because when you when you when I read the question I was like huh so and I haven't watched the Clone Wars that's Part of the reason I'm really excited about um, Disney Plus is because I haven't been able to watch the Clone Wars in a really long time, um, all the way through the animated series. And um, it seems like Anakin actually did it in one of the episodes, and he was kind of like, which technically speaking is Darth Vader, but I guess the that idea has existed prior to oh, Empire. That yes. is excellent research. That is hard hitting so, journalism right here. I like it. Now, <laughs> And that's what the internet told me. Not 100% sure. <laughs> Didn't have time to like find the episode and watch, but. <laughs> so here's, so here's the, the question I have for you, just based on the fact that like, obviously this is a Mandalorian. He looks very similar to Boba Fett. He's using some of the same techniques that we've seen Boba Fett use, which might come from the planet Mandalore. I don't think we know that for sure. But my question is, do so I'm changing the question on you guys. Do you think we're going to see Boba Fett in this series, make an appearance of some kind. Will they do a throwback? Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Daryl, why don't you give us your thoughts first? We I hope mean, not. no, I just, I love the fact that we are looking at the concept of the Mandalorians outside of Boba Fett. Like, I don't need Boba Fett to be a part of this. Mm. I'm super intrigued by this dude, and I don't even know his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know more about him than I ever knew about Boba Fett. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I kind of don't. I don't want Boba Fett to be involved. I like, I like the bits we've gotten already, like yeah. another IG unit, a creature that looks like Yoda. Like, I like those things here and there. We don't need. I don't need. Yeah. An actual character from the Star Wars saga to come into this. Right. Right. Okay. That's one take. Yeah. Tori, what do you think? Um, I largely agree with that. Um, I think I like, he definitely doesn't need to be a significant character or anything like that. I would say maybe some sort of slight nod to him at some point. Why not? But I'm not really, I I think I'm already so invested in this character and all of the awesome other characters that we've yet to meet. Like, I don't, I don't, that's fine. (laughs) It can stay over there. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Ashley, what do you think? 
Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything everyone has said. I love Boba Fett. I think he's super cool, but I think having him in the in show would take away from these new characters and this new setting. And something I would like to kind of see them do subtly, though, is contrast the Mandalorian with Boba Fett. You know, mm -hmm. we see Boba Fett as this pretty ruthless guy who's really just in it for himself. And I think that there's more nuance to the Mandalorian than that. So I don't want them to see, like to do a direct tie to Boba Fett, but I would like to see the show kind of subtly contrast some of the Mandalorian's decisions and personality with what we know of Boba Fett. Mm, yeah, I like that. I think the prequels just kind of ruined Boba Fett for me. Like, see him as a kid Boba? Yeah. Baby Boba like, ruined go, it? Go dad! Or, you know, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. And just the concept of him being a clone and stuff like that, I'm like... yeah. Too much info. It's like you went from a character that was so cool because of his mystery, yeah, yeah. all the way to kind of a, a devaluing, stupid explanation for where this character comes from. Right. You know what I mean? It's like right. he's so mysterious, and ah, nah, screw it. He's not anything important. You know. I do think George in the prequels was trying to make a few characters more special, and kind of did the opposite. Yeah. Right. Like he, I think he was trying to make Boba Fett more special. I think he was trying to say like midi chlorians made people more special, and people were like, "No, I need the mystery. I don't need that other stuff." You know? Then just make Boba be the one that all the clones were created from. Have him be uncharacteristically, like he doesn't age for some reason. Like I, you <laughs> know, I don't know. Thing. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I so I agree with you guys. I I don't need to see Boba Fett at all. He's one of my favorite characters, but I'm I'm happy with him where. He's at the bottom of the Starlock pit. Um, uh, but uh, actually, I think they reversed that, by the way, in the uh, in the canon. I think he may have escaped at some point. Or maybe it's Legends, but some, somewhere he escaped. Uh, the one thing I do think we'll get, I think we're going to get some piece of his armor. Yeah, that's mm. what I feel like at some point, helmet, something's yep. going to something's going to turn up. Yeah, it feels like the armor is going to evolve over the course of the yes. show. Yes. I agree. That's exciting. It. Yeah, that's cool. The armor, the whole armor scene, it's almost like playing a video game where you come back and you get to level up. Yeah. That's cool. I like it. Um, okay. So let's go over to, uh, again, kind of digging deeper into some themes here, but also just questioning where we think this story is headed. Um, when the Mandalorian accepts the off-the-record bounty, he then goes to a room full of stormtroopers. And so my question to you guys is, do you think the bounty offered by Werner Herzog's character, who's called just the client, <laughs> um, is an Imperial bounty? Do you think the Imperials are paying for this bounty? And what do you think about the stormtroopers being there? Tori, why don't we start with you on this one? Okay, I got a whole theory about like the connection of the actual bounty with them and everything. I'll save that most of that for the end. But okay. <laughs> I think sorry, I've been thinking about this a lot, guys. Um, but so I what I think is happening is it's you know, war, war's over, they lost. This section of Imperials are not over it. And they're still banding together and they're still trying to further their cause. So that's what I think is happening with that. Mm. I like it. Daryl, what do you think? Uh, it hit me differently. Mm. I feel like um, they are not connected to the Empire. They're just capitalizing on the fall of the Empire. And um, mm, That's interesting. And so uh, Werner Herzog is, or the client, is... Um, <laughs> 
and I'll get to why he is a quirky for me. But um, <laughs> I think he's just capitalizing on it and trying to make a name for himself in a world where the Empire's grip is looser. Oh, okay. And I th- I feel like those stormtrooper uh, uniforms, mm. especially since they're so dirty yeah. and so beaten up, I'm I feel like they just got those somehow, either from scavenging oh. or from oh. taking some stormtroopers out mm. and stealing them. See, yeah. I, I took that as because um, uh, one of the first things I I so backstory I went to the I was in the panel at Star Wars Celebration, and so that first scene was one of the things they showed us, and. What I saw, those was one of the first things I saw was the stormtroopers. And to me, it kind of read as um, stormtroopers that were still trying to continue what they were doing prior, but they didn't have the tools necessary to, like, upkeep their uniforms and their materials. Mm. Like, they're not cleaning them every day. They don't have this regimented life anymore. Yeah, very well could be. But I actually really enjoy the idea of um, what you were saying. Yeah, so, mm, that's just how it struck me. But so okay, so my Werner Herzog thing. Yeah, let's hear it. So um, <laughs> it's not that exciting, but <laughs> yeah, um, I've been waiting this whole time. It better be amazing. <laughs> so uh, there's there's a comedian named Paul F. Tompkins, who um, is a regular on Comedy Bang Bang. Okay. And comedy. Is he Bang also Bang an extra Bang. in this because he have a cameo? He might later on. Who knows? <laughs> okay. But he um, he's hilarious and. If you don't know what Comedy Bang Bang is, it's a long-form improv show. Mm. Um, Podcast Now was a TV show for a while. but And he appears as several different characters on the show. Okay. One of his characters is Werner Herzog. Oh, really? And he's so <laughs> funny as this character. <laughs> and so my wife and I, when we were watching this, we literally just started laughing out loud when Herzog came on screen. <laughs> once you hear Paul F. Tompkins do his impression, you'll never be able to take the guy seriously again. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Oh, so my God. so funny. I loved that character. So yeah. I, may, I may not listen to any of the comedy just for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> he did a great job. I'm not trying to devalue him at all, but just the impression is just so funny. That's hilarious. Know? Ashley, what do you think? Are these are these part of the empire? Is this a, an empire bounty, or what are we what are we seeing here? Yeah, so I actually haven't thought too much about what's going on with this scene because I personally kind of want to be surprised by whatever this secret is. Mm-hmm. I want this show to take me places I wouldn't have guessed, and to me, the storm the presence of the stormtroopers means there's probably some kind of imperial connection, but I think there's more going on than we assume. Mm. Kind of my theory is that maybe the client and these stormtroopers are part of some kind of rogue faction that's going to wind up connected to the First Order. I believe I read some article somewhere that this show will delve into a little bit that transition between the Empire at the end of the Return of the Jedi to the First Order and the Force Awakens. And Mm. I think there's definitely more going on behind the scenes here that we're just not seeing. And Mm -hmm. I'm really curious to learn more about what's going on. I my theory is that there's something here kind of connected to the first order and that will be the gap between return of the Jedi and the force awakens. Mm. That would be awesome. Yeah. I I had um, several reactions and then I started uh, even Googling things because I was like, okay, so my first reaction was, Oh, these aren't actually connected to the empire because they have the more Daryl's thought process about them being dirty suits that these guys probably just picked up somewhere to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I started thinking to myself like, okay, wait a minute. The bounty that they're after is the same species, which doesn't have a name, by the way, I looked that up too. Um, as Yoda, yeah, or there's nothing on it. Everyone, <laughs> oh, that's interesting. 
So the bounties on that species, the only two members of that species we have ever ever seen are prominent members of the Jedi Order. Yes. So we can assume that a lot of those members of that species may be strong in the Force, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my thought being that I was like, hey, I'm going to look at some of the logos because he has a medallion on that has a logo on it. Um, He also, when he hands over the Beskar, uh, the the piece of metal that the Mandalorian armor is made out of, that has a symbol on it. Those symbols are very similar. They also are very similar to the Galactic Republic, the Galactic Empire, and some of the Sith logos as well. So here's my theory. And actually, you're going to just need to turn off your (laughs) headphones because I I don't want to ruin it for anybody. But here's my theory. My theory is that this group is a group that Palpatine set up at some point in the creation of the Galactic Empire that was specifically going to go out and try and root out any of the Jedi to still carry out Order 66. And they perceive this is a threat. This child is a threat. Well, 50-year-old child um, is a threat to their existence and to the to even their ability to control the galaxy. And it's a some sort of an offshoot there. So that's you my... Have you... Interesting. Have you also seen someone on the internet, because the internet's a beautiful place, um, <laughs> looked into the doctor's patch on his arm? No, it, I did not it, see this. And it looks like um, it, like a clone doctor or something like that. Oh, oh. that's what the symbol looks like. Yeah. So Interesting. there's a lot going on here. <laughs> there's a lot going on here. And obviously we have no clue, um, but it is certainly... This is what I love about good setups is that all around the table, we said, we love this show. And then we said, this one scene, how do you read it? And we all read it somewhat differently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and yet we're still really all good. stoked about it. So that's that's always good. a huge sign of like really cool stuff to come. Um, got a couple more questions here uh, before we finish out. But um, before we talk about the final scene, which is a really important scene, um, I want to ask... Why do you think the Mandalorian? This is a stupid question again, right? I have stupid questions. I don't think this is a stupid. No, I think this is a very good question. I like this one a lot too. Good, good, good. Then, then, then uh, the question is: Why do you think the Mandalorian hates droids? And do you see anti-droid views as troubling or funny? And so, part of the reason I asked this question is because obviously in Solo we saw L three three seven, and that character was all about droid rights and, and this kind of thing. And now we see a character who seems to actually hate droids. So yeah, um, I will start with Ashley on this one. Ashley, what do you think? Is this troubling? Is this funny? What is what is this? Yeah, I really like this question because it really made me think. And in terms of the Mandalorian and his feelings about droids, I think there's definitely a backstory here. He has some kind of negative experiences in his past with droids, maybe connected to his traumatic childhood or something that he experienced on a bounty hunting job. It's pretty clear that he doesn't trust or like them. And I would say as for whether his bias is troubling, yeah, anytime you're prejudging people based on who or what they are, that's not good. And Star Wars has definitely portrayed droids as sentient within this universe. I mean, like I cried when K2SO died in Rogue One because he was, yes, he was a member of that team. And droids like R2D2 and BB-8 have personalities and have displayed independent decision-making abilities. So I would like to see the show kind of unpack the Mandalorian's feelings about droids and then maybe have him interact with droids and change his views 
throughout the show, kind of as we see him, you know, become more human and express more of his feelings and beliefs. And I would like to see him maybe team up with some droids later in the show and kind of revisit his beliefs and some of his biases that he may have going on there. Mm. All right. I like that. Tori, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I think the flashbacks that we're seeing are, I, I, what I think is happening is it's the, all of those shots and everything and all the things that he, he and his, presumably his family are running from. I think those are droids from the, from the Clone Wars. That's what I think is happening. So I think that, yeah, he hates droids because they essentially took everything from him. Um, I super agree on, um, I, I'm hoping and I think we will see um, him have to um, deal with droids more and kind of have that um, idea that he has evolve. I'm th- I definitely don't think we've seen the last of IG-11. So I think I think IG-11 will they'll probably end up having to do a couple of things together in the future. And I, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, and I hope his mind will change because I do find it troubling because I agree, you know, droids are basically people in the Star Wars universe. So. All right, Daryl, I feel like you have a counterpoint because I'm sitting in the room with I, you. I feel like I'm going to sound like a big old jerk. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a jerk alert on the Story Geeks Talk Disney Plus podcast. Um, I, I don't care about droids. Oh, as a, as oh a, Daryl, Daryl, Daryl. The the L3 thing really annoyed me. That's That was one of my least favorite parts of that movie. Oh, I certainly, I mean, it's not a blanket answer. I mean, I certainly would feel bad about seeing someone mistreat C-3PO or R2-D2. Right, right. You know? Only the droids you like. Only the droids <laughs> I like. Oh, man. But uh, I don't... So, I mean, there are some that there's an attachment to, sure. Right. But I just... Overall, I just don't resonate with the whole idea of sort of turning the droids into an oppressed... Mm. and You know, like sort mm. of an oppressed minority group or whatever... Mm whatever that may look like. Is that because you believe that it actually takes away from uh, those people's experiences, like uh, more of like oppressed people groups experiences in real life? Uh, I hadn't thought that, but I like it. (laughs) (laughs) It makes a lot of sense. Um, I know, I guess I just don't, I don't feel the need to make machines a minority. Mm. I don't know. Okay. Um, But I can be, I can be convinced that that's a stupid perspective, and I'm totally open to that. Um, I really, really like Tori's answer about the flashbacks. Mm. Um, I hadn't noticed that, and that makes me want to completely change my answer. But I do think what I put here is still a little bit true. Um, My guess as to why he hated droids was that um, as a bounty hunter, he sort of built himself up as this really good judge of character. Yeah. And he knows people, and he understands his targets. Mm. And you can't do that with a droid. A droid uh, is just a machine. You can't read a droid. You can't trust a droid. You can't manipulate a droid emotionally. Yeah, that's very you know? interesting. Yeah, that's... So mm-hmm. that was kind of my take on it. But I really, really love the uh, the flashback theory as well. Mm. Oh, yeah, the flashback theory is amazing. That's like, yeah, I didn't even think of that. But that sounds 100% correct. Which led me to ask a question to myself that maybe I should ask here. Yeah, what's that? I'm beginning to doubt that... What what if the Mandalorian uh-huh. is not a Mandalorian? Oh yeah. Mm. Well, well, let's let, let's pause on that because I want to ask that. We'll explore that, but let okay. me give you my thoughts on the robots or the droids, I should say. Um, so I think is it funny or is it troubling? 
I think I don't that... think it's funny. I will say that I, I'm not here for. I'm I'm not trying to say like, well, let's go kick him in the butt, you know, like, whatever. <laughs> like, like let's destroy droids. I'm not trying them. to like demean them. I just don't. No, care I get about it. Them. You are you're 100 on the bartender from Mos Eisley's side. <laughs> They're not <Sure>. welcome here. <laughs> um, no, no. I so okay. So my thing is, I actually do find it somewhat humorous and i think it's actually played for humor in multiple movies i think actually the l337 was meant to be played for humor as well but the whole those all of those scenes are supposed to be funny that when they show the droids doing the droid uprising like, like it's funny too right like i think they're trying to play with the writers of star wars want us to love droids there's no question about that. There's almost never a droid that you hate, except for the ones that are like torturing other droids, like the ones in what is it, Empire <laughs> yeah. Strikes Back, like torturing other droids. But they treat droids like um, like you would see uh, us treat um, dogs in a movie, right? Like they yeah. like we're supposed to love them. They're supposed to be some uh, companions for us. They're supposed to be uh, things that we love that have personalities, even. Um, so I think that there's definitely a difference between sentient life and pre-programmed machinery i think droids the yeah. importance of droids is actually more that they reveal the character of the people around them and how those people treat the droids mm. so like when the bartender says we don't welcome your kind here that we're supposed to see that as oppressive and not so that not because we're supposed to necessarily feel really bad about c-3po and r2d2 necessarily but we're, what we're supposed to do is we're, I think we're supposed to see that guy as being a jerk. Hmm. Like, oh, he's, yeah. that, he's that kind of guy, right? Um, if, he's do, if he's saying that, what other people would he say that to? We're supposed mm -hmm. to think that, I think. And so I think this will be a character development thing for the Mandalorian. I think he's going to start to turn around and love droids um, over time. And I think that, uh, I think Tori's um, theory about the battle droids to some degree um blowing up his space is totally accurate um and so so i think that when you look at the characters who hate droids or treat droids badly it's about them it's not about the droids so much yeah and i think that's kind of more the way I, I look at it and so i find some humor in it but i also find it troubling because then i care about the characters yeah 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 i guess i just maybe sometimes i think there's so many different races and there's so many different cultures yeah. in the star wars universe yeah and I'm like, if we're going to introduce a social struggle, why why do it with the droids? Like, there's so many other, right. you know what I mean? Like, I, I love the idea of exploring more corners of this universe. So it's not just about the Empire versus the Rebels or the First Order versus the Resistance, you right. know? Like, I love looking at other things. Rogue yeah. One gave us some of that, you know? Yeah. Last Jedi so, gave us some of that, too. Yeah. So I love that idea. I just, I, I don't know. So before we go to our last question, I want to jump back into your question. So yeah. why don't you raise that question again, and then we'll have Tori answer it, then Ashley answer it, and then I'll jump into it. Well, I don't know. I just when uh, Tori, when you were talking about the idea that droids were attacking him, and that's you know during the Clone Wars and stuff like that, it made me think. Oh well, what if you know what if in the in the midst of a a war or a battle or something like that, he stole Mandalorian armor and he's hiding as a Mandalorian and. Maybe that's why we don't see him take off the mask because mm -hmm. he doesn't want people to know that he's not actually a Mandalorian. I have no reason to think that. I'm yeah. just like, oh, the show is <laughs> called The Mandalorian. So what if it's all a smokescreen? You know, funny. It's an interesting question. Um, I think that um, 
they definitely set up, you know, he's getting the the best scar back and he's going to have his armor made from that. And there's, you know, the comment made of like, oh, it's good to have that back in the hands of, you know, our, um, you know, our clan and all of that. And so I think I think that that's not totally impossible um, that he, you know, was from somewhere else and then ended up kind of being adopted into a Mandalorian clan or something of that nature. Um, mm. But. I also think that maybe it was also just as likely that he was living on Mandalore. They got wrecked. He lost his family. He's kind of on his own. And this is kind of him finding his way back to his roots and him kind of, cause she mentions, you know, have you figured out, you know, your crest yet? And he's like, no. So I think that there's a lot that he's searching for in the way of his past. Mm. So yeah, I could go either way. Good. And to be clear, I don't necessarily want him to not be a Mandalorian. <laughs> like, oh, no, I, I mean, I definitely want him to be one, but I, I mean, it's an interesting yeah. question. You know what I mean? And that's like the, people say, oh, Boba Fett's a Mandalorian. Well, technically, not technically, really. Boba Fett's a clone of a Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, Daryl's like, I don't care what he is as long as he kills droids. <laughs> <laughs> no, Screw I'm... the droids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ashley, what do you think? Yeah, so I think that this question is super fascinating. I never considered that the Mandalorian might not actually be a Mandalorian, but I love that theory. The fact that he has taken on this identity, he is hiding, trying to keep himself secret and safe. And I think that could be a great explanation for why he keeps the mask on, because as soon as he takes it off, people will know, oh, he's not actually the man he's pretending to be. So I love that theory. I think that would be a super cool way to um, explore the story. Yeah, I, I, so here's why I think he's going to be a Mandalorian. Um, because one of the things that I love about now, I've seen this show three times and I did not get this on my first watch. <laughs> I should have gotten on my first watch, but I didn't get it on my first watch because we're going to go into the final scene in a minute. And the reason why that scene is so impactful, especially after you've watched it several times and like it's like really ingrained in you that his, the fact that he was a loner and, and an orphaned. And that he became a foundling. I take foundling to mean that he was uh, not part of a clan and was brought into a clan later. Because she, because why is he did not have armor? Because no armor was passed down to him. Like he had nothing to get. He, his tribe didn't give him anything. That's why he doesn't have a sigil yet either, right? He didn't have anything to, to identify with. Mm -hmm. So I think what's happening is as a foundling, as a Mandalorian who was lost that has been brought back into the I actually like Tori's use of the word clan because technically that feels more correct to me that you keep using tribe in the show. Um, I think that that is really impactful to to him. I think it's really impactful to the reason why he feels like he needs to protect the uh, the child, the fifty year old child at the end of the at the end of the show <laughs> um, because he is that child. Mm -hmm. He's yeah. the found. Well, he's the found. Yeah. He was the one that was orphaned, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it would be weird if they said like, oh, he's the foundling and he cares about other people, but actually he's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, that would kind of throw off some of that theme to me. Um, so I'm going to yeah, go with, he's not, he's definitely a Mandalorian. Yeah. yeah I want him. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, that's yeah. an interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it's good. We should explore all of those things. All right. Final question. Uh, the end of this episode is pretty amazing. Um, we see that the Mandalorian has found his latest bounty 
And it's a creature that looks like, we talked about this earlier, the same species as Yoda and Yaddle. Um, and uh, we still, I've already talked about this. That's a mystery, mystery species. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody on Twitter, uh, when I asked, like, hey, is there, is there um, any questions you have for us? Somebody said, oh, hey, is this, could, this, could this be Yaddle, right? And I'm like, well, I mean, technically Yaddle is dead at this point. But, like, the question then is, like, who is this? Why is this here? We've only seen this these kinds of species before as Jedi. So what do you think? What is this signal for the future of this show? Daryl, I'll start with you this time. What does the appearance of this creature mean for this show? I have no idea, which is so <laughs> exciting. Um, I'm like, meanwhile, I, I'm like rolling up my sleeves over here. I'm like, let's go. Yeah. I had to look up Yaddle. I had no idea who that was. What? <laughs> yeah. I'm not a prequels fan. What can I say? <laughs> but uh, um, uh, first of all, I don't know that. Um, I, you're right. We've only seen two of these creatures before. Right. And they were both Jedi. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that their whole race is Jedi. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's lots of human Jedis, but that doesn't mean that every human is a Jedi side. Correct. George Lucas likes to do world building, especially in the prequels. So, yes, yes. it might have just been like, oh, let's throw in someone else that looks like Yoda. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right, right, right. Because the ETs are in there, right? Yeah. So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Any, anything's fair game. Yeah. But I have no idea what it means for the future. It certainly doesn't seem like it's, it can't technically be Yoda because he's dead. But, right, 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 right. I don't know that it's like a, reincarnated yoda or anything like that it certainly seems like a different character but, right but um reincarnated yoda that'd be, that'd be fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know what it means and i think that's why mm. i'm so excited about it, it because this show really sparks my imagination mm. and mm-hmm. I'm, i Agreed. love that so much yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Tori, you roll up your sleeves. Let's hear it. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> so as you, cause you were actually touching on it and I was sitting in my seat like, yes, yes. So like, as you said, um, the really the only two creatures from the species that we've seen previously are really wise, you know, ancient, powerful Jedi. Right. So mm-hmm. what are the odds of that? Mm-hmm. Um, I have kind of been, especially with um, that Freddie Prince Jr. Rant that he had. <laughs> uh, yeah. Very, recently very interested in the idea of um star wars is always about balance it's always about keeping the balance it's always about you know tipping the scales and all of that and so um i'm wondering to myself like yoda and yaddle whatever species they are we know literally nothing about it um clearly these um in my opinion ex-empire um fact this faction that um is still trying to kind of complete their work um is threatened by it and i feel like i wonder if this entity is the galaxy's answer to like that next question of balance Mm. and like knowing that you know yoda's time was kind of gonna be up yaddle's time is out um and i think it i think the doctor is very invested in it he clearly doesn't want it to be killed he wants to study it and maybe manipulate that and then you have Warner Herzog who's just like, just kill it. Cause then we don't have to worry about it. It's done. The other side does not have it. Right. Right. So I think there's just a lot of questions to be answered about what kind of a species is this? What are the capabilities of the species? Clearly they've been important before. Mm. So, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Ashley, what do you think? 
Yeah, that's great. I think that's all really intriguing. Um, the answer that I put down is pretty much like yours, Daryl. I have no idea what the revelation at the end of that episode means. And that really excites me. Like, I don't want the first Star Wars live action series to be predictable or easy to guess what's going to happen. Um, yeah. I love all the questions that this is inspiring. Like, is this creature connected to Yoda? Is this creature force sensitive? Why are people willing to kill in order to protect or capture this creature? Like some mm -hmm. people are willing to give their lives to keep it safe and other people are willing to risk their lives to destroy it. So there's definitely something big going on here. Um, mm. I like it because it's definitely not what I expected the Mandalorian's bounty to be. And, you know, it could be possible that he knows something about this creature, but it also could simply be that he just has compassion for this, you know, childlike creature. It's not what he expected. And it kind of gives him pause when he didn't expect it to. So I am super curious to see where this all goes in the future episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? Because like, it's kind of we kind of know that Werner Herzog and his crew are, uh, I shouldn't say we know, we, we have a very distinct thought process that his that they're bad because yes because because of what werner herzog says when he's like hey if you want to bring it back dead that's cool too right because like yeah oh, yeah kid, dude like come on um so we we kind of get the the impression that they're bad but i was also under the impression that the dudes that were um in control of this of this this young 50 years young creature um, I thought they were bad because everyone was because even the Nick Nolte character was talking about how we need to remove these people from the area because they're really causing problems and all this. So what's interesting to me is that this whatever whoever, whatever this character turns out to be this Yoda Yaddle species character. I hope really hope they give us a name so we can actually use the name of the species. Yeah, I want to know the species name so bad. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we should strike Yaddle from our description of this character. Just be like the Yoda like creature. Yeah, maybe. But did so Yaddle I, even have a line? No, she did not. Yeah. I don't think she ever said. Oh no, no, she did. She did say one line, I believe. I gotta go back and look at that. But I, th I think she had one line. Mm. Um. Anyways, regardless of that, one thing that I think would be fascinating because I think they're starting to hint at this in the Disney era. And this would be truly mind-blowing. What if Yoda, after the events of Revenge of the Sith, realized some of what was wrong with the Jedi Order in regards to attachments? And what if this is actually the child of Yoda and Yaddle? And that's why it could be so powerful in the Force. Because Yoda went, you know what? This whole attachment thing is real bad for everybody. And we tend to see him as more of a wise character. And I'm wondering if he broke the chain of saying, like, we shouldn't mm -hmm. have attachments. And this is the this is the product of Yoda's lineage and, and perhaps Yaddle's lineage as well. That would be something. 50 hmm. years gives us about that ability to see that right i think maybe <laughs> i don't know yeah I, the only the only thing with that is the timeline does it add up yeah well yaddle like would have could. had to survive yaddle yeah, would have exactly. had to survive uh -huh. uh -huh. yeah. and then it would have had to happen sometime when yoda was on dagobah i assume sometime yeah. in there so yeah, this is a Take crazy a call. Crazy. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, well my theory is crazy too. So yeah, yeah. It's I mean this when you're on episode one, I think crazy theories are kind of what you just naturally go to because you don't have that much information. <laughs> well, and but, it's so fun to think about what could be, you know. And I mean I agree in that, you know, I would like to be surprised as well, but I can't yeah. help but think about what could be. I know, it's pretty crazy.
Um, all right. Well, then we're going to close out the show right there. Uh, we spent about an hour and five minutes talking about a 40-minute <laughs> episode of television, uh, which is fantastic. Um, there's, just so much to, there's so much to break down in this show. Tori, before we go, can you tell all of the listeners what you're up to, where they can find you and follow you and all that good stuff? Yeah, um, I'm a scenic and special effects makeup artist. I'm based in Orlando, Florida. Um, so you can kind of follow. I post a lot about um, I'm also kind of trying to get an Etsy shop off the ground. So uh, but I post a lot of my projects on my Instagram and my Twitter. So my Instagram is at Boba Fox and my Twitter is at Tori Fett. Um, and my Etsy shop is Creature Cartel. Nice. That's awesome. So there definitely you go. go. Yeah, definitely <laughs> go follow Tori. And then Ashley Pauls, in addition to writing blogs for us, what else are you up to, Ashley? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at JediAsh1, tweeting mostly about Star Wars. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and I also blog for the uh, Earth Station One podcast, movie reviews, and other entertainment content. We are going to dive into episode two of The Mandalorian. And just, you know, right off the bat, on a scale of, let's see, 10 being the best, 1 being the worst, how many Jawas would you get, give episode 2 of The Mandalorian? How many exploding Jawas? How many exploding Jawas? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Mike? Um, I think, you know, it's pretty fun. I'll give it, I'll give it an eight. Eight, 8. 8 exploding Jawas. 8 exploding Jawas. I like that. Ashley, how about you? I'm going to give it nine exploding Jawas. Um, it was shorter than the last episode, but I felt like it really packed a punch. And it's definitely leaning into that Western vibe, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, I agree. I'd probably go with nine as well. Uh, I think it, it's maybe started a tad bit slow for me, um, but uh, picked up real quick, especially once we got to the little Yoda baby using his Jedi powers. That was unbelievable, (laughs) but I'm jumping the gun. We'll get to that later. So um, let's just run down some questions. I got lots of stuff to talk to you guys about Um, when the, Oh, you know what? I forgot to do this before we get too far into the show. Let me give a little bit of context. Jay did this on the show before, and this is just for people that may not know a whole lot about the Mandalorian and that whole world. So The Mandalorian takes place a few years after the events of Return of the Jedi and about 20 years before the events of The Force Awakens. The Mandalorians are a race from a planet called Mandalore, appropriately, and they're a very warrior-minded race, very much a warrior culture. And finally, as far as we know, this show is not connected to Boba Fett, at least not yet. Maybe. Maybe? (laughs) Maybe. Do Do you know something we don't know? Well, uh, so there is, uh, we have maybe uh, seen him already um, in the very really? first, yeah, in the very first episode when our uh, main Mandalorian uh, uh, walks into the Mar- uh, Mandalorian tribe, tribal area. Uh, once he sort of, ent- uh, goes, he goes down the stairs and then he, there's a lot of other Mandalorians kind of hanging about, lounging about. Um, but in the, uh, it's about the like 18 and a half mark in the, in the show. So if you need to like, you know, you've got your digital reader there, you can uh, yeah. just stop it at 1830 or 1831 and you'll see just off to his shoulder in the shadows, there is a figure that has Mandalorian armor, which it looks very remarkably like Boba Fett's. 
Uh, it's green, red, and yellow, uh, same as his. Uh, he's holding a blaster, I think. Uh, he's got the little cape-ish, uh, uh, and and he's just kind of standing there. Um, so I I don't know. I don't know if this is just uh, sort of something that they just threw in to be just sort of like, ha-ha, or if it, it's actually going to mean something later on, or... Or what? Or maybe it just... Ha- I, I find it very difficult to believe it's just a coincidence that he's wearing these colors. Mm-hmm. But that actually is somebody standing there? It's not just the armor like mounted on the wall or something? No, no. It's actually a figure. Yeah, it's standing there, right? So um, oh. it's uh, it's kind of kooky. Um, I, I, like I said, I don't know what to make of it. Uh, it's not like he interacts with him at all. Um, so I, I don't know. I To be honest, I have no idea what this means as far as uh, whether or not um, this, he's really like Boba Fett. I I don't know what's in canon anymore and what's not as far as Boba Fett's, (laughs) uh, you know, death or, you know, resurgence. I think in one of the books, uh, someone buys his armor or his armor is for sale. Um, And I find it very difficult to believe that uh, someone like, uh, especially Dave Filoni, who's such an adent, um, uh, prodigy of George Lucas's would want to yeah. sort of under undermine him by like saying no no he's really alive so I, I don't know I, I mm. feel like this right now is just a, a throwaway like hey kind of cool um, but who knows it it might mean something later on so maybe the Sarlacc is allergic to Mandalorian yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the, or certainly the armor, right? Uh, yeah, there you go. Yep. I, I, you know, I think it also might just be kind of a nice homage to say that look, um, this is the first episode of a series called The Mandalorian. We all understand everybody making this, everybody watching this. We all understand that this would not happen if it wasn't for the character of Boba Fett. And we just wanted to sort of pay some homage to him. So once he, so once our character goes into this realm of, you know, this pocket of Mandalorians, maybe we just sort of get a glimpse. It's sort of like hazy. We're not really sure if that's him or not, Mm. but this is just our way of saying like, this is paying homage to the, to the man who brought us here. Either way, it's super cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it yet, um, I'm, the screenshots are out there um, of what it looks like. And of course you can see it for yourself if you've got a pretty good uh, TV. Uh, mine is not 4K. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I saw the shadowy. I, once I knew what to look for, I, I could spot him. But uh, yeah, he's he's there. Somebody's there. That's cool. I'm going to go back and check that out for sure. Uh, okay, let's do, let's get into episode two here. Um, so my first question for you guys, when the Mandalorian returns to, I'm still pronouncing his name Quill. Do you guys have any understanding that maybe you pronounce it differently? I don't think we've actually heard it on the show, have we? I know. I've just seen the name on IMDb. That's where I'm pulling it from. It's K-U-I-I-L. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. Sounds good. (laughs) So when the Mandalorian returns to Quill and says his ship is destroyed, uh, Quill says the Jawas steal. They don't destroy. So could be just a quick little throwaway line, but I, I'm wondering if there's some significance to that distinction. So Ashley, what do you think? 
Yeah, um, I think it's kind of interesting if you kind of contrast that with Imperial protocol and philosophy. Like throughout the original trilogy, we see the Imperials destroying all kinds of things all the way up to entire planets, which is a huge waste of resources and more significantly lives. And so kind of when you compare it to what the Jawas are doing, obviously stealing is not good either, but they are repurposing and recycling and they see value in these things that they take. So... Obviously not a good thing either, but they're not just destroying things to destroy things. They're, they're repurposing this content. So maybe it's a differentiation between them and the Empire, kind of? Yes, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I like that. That's cool. Mike, what do you think? Um, it, it's sort of, it's one of those uh, lines where it's like, I, I'm not sure if it's really just a, a character that gets hung up on semantics or, or like a grammar Nazi, like in the Star Wars universe or something. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I'm reminded of a quote, uh, one of my favorite movies is a hammer, the hammer version of uh, Dracula. And uh, one of the, um, one of the characters in reference to Dracula uh, says to um, uh, uh, someone, who knows about vampires? He says, "I must kill him." And uh, the the response is, "Not kill. He is already dead. He is undead. He can be destroyed, but not killed." And I'm like, <laughs> "Really? Are we, we going to make this distinction?" Like, I think the I think the sentiment is there, right? <laughs> like, right. Like, it seems kind of like um, uh, kind of strange to make that distinction here. But the, the fact of the matter is is that, yes, the Jawas don't set out to destroy anything. I think they're just interested in, uh, yeah, recycling is a, a pretty uh, politically correct way of calling it. <laughs> 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 because it's really akin to, you know, uh, coming outside and finding, like, some punks have stolen your, your, your wheels on your car, right? Like, it's it's kind of like that sort of message. Like, this is... They're, they're not cool people. Uh, the Jawas are not cool people at all. Um, I and I don't know if this is the place really to, but I, I kind of don't like them used here. Um, I'm not really 100% like happy with um, just sort of using the Jawas here just because I, I'm like, it's just it seems like they're like being used sort of as fan service rather than mm. um like organically like i mean there's been some speculation that i've seen online that that we're on tattooing here well that's uh, what I, I was gonna ask i mean i didn't i've i don't know if the jawas exist anywhere aside from tattooing so yeah they don't seem very capable of space travel <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean it's possible um and certainly if this is tattooing um you know, I, I think, like you guys mentioned, I think in the first episode that you guys were reviewing, I think it was Victoria that pointed out, and quite nicely so, that it would be kind of nice if uh, they told us which planet we were on when yeah. we mm-hmm. were doing yeah. things. And I don't know if there's a reason that they're not telling us, um, but certainly uh, the fact that uh, Quill or, uh, uh, <laughs> says, um, says that this is a place where a lot of us go to find peace it almost seems like, you know, that's why, you know, maybe Obi-Wan it, it, it was there, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Like, it's it sort of ties in to that. Mm-hmm. Like, we are far away from the action, and we want, to, you know, we... It, so, if it's not Tatooine, it kind of fits the same bill as Tatooine. Yeah, and where they go, where the gunfight takes place with, like, IG-11 sort of has that Moss Eisley vibe to it. And... Yeah, and, and it looks like Quill's farm is a moisture farm. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, that's... <laughs> It's kind of like, okay, but I think, you know, when he's approaching it, I don't think it looks like tattooing. 
uh, you know, when we see it from the from space. So I don't know. I it just seems odd that it they would they would make. I mean, a lot of Star Wars takes place on Tatooine. A lot. I think almost. I think four out of the nine movies have a scene at least in Tatooine. Mm-hmm. So Tatooine is pretty well represented for for an out of the nowhere like place. Like yeah. it's pretty well it's pretty well represented in the Star Wars saga. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I for me, I think that line just sort of. I feel like it was just sort of a mechanical way for him to say, well, your stuff's not gone. Like we can go get it and I'll help you do that. You know, yes. like, yeah. so they don't, st- they steal, they don't destroy. So it's, we can still fix this, but I just, you know, who would we be if we didn't dive into these lines that could mean nothing? We spent like an hour <laughs> talking about Han telling someone he'd see him in hell. So it's Star Wars. No line means nothing. <laughs> exactly. <That's right. laughs> Speaking of which, we knew this line here didn't mean nothing, but uh, the Mandalorian says, I'm a Mandalorian. Weapons are part of my religion. Um, You guys probably know more about the Mandalorian culture than I do, so maybe you're just educating me here, but I'm curious what you guys make of that line. Ashley, what do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I say I would probably be more familiar with Mandalorian culture from the expanded universe, which is now known as Legends and non-canon. So I find myself a little bit confused sometimes. Okay, what was carried over from that and what's new about the Mandalorians, especially when we see in the Clone Wars animated series where the planet Mandalore are known for being more as pacifists, but then you have kind of this rogue element that's more interested in kind of the the warrior-like part of the culture. So I am really curious. I hope that they kind of come back to this within the Mandalorian, see what he means by that. Um, I personally kind of felt like he was speaking symbolically, like he lives and dies by this weapon. This is the way of life he believes in, and he doesn't want to be parted from it. Maybe it's the only thing he feels he can trust. If you're a bounty hunter, like you're not able to necessarily trust the people around you that you're working with. So this weapon... This is his life. This is what he trusts to keep him safe. So, but it was an interesting line. I'm curious to see if they will do more with that later on in the show. For sure. Mike, educate us. <laughs> well, I, I am not a Mandalorian uh, expert by any means. Um, I, you know, I've, I've, look, I think, and I think that what's really cool is that you don't need to be to watch this series. Yeah. Um, I think so far the series has given us pretty much everything we need so far. Um, with the exception of maybe uh, the, the, the child um, and the implications thereof. But we'll talk about that later. Um, but as far as the Mandalorians goes, I mean, it, look, it's set up in the first episode that armor means a lot to them. Uh, it's, it's almost like a religious um, ceremony when, as he's getting this new piece of armor attached to him. Um, you know, it's like this, something that, a, a, a warrior, a Mandalorian warrior builds towards, right? As he, as he gets experiences, he, he sort of builds up his armor, um, more and more. And I think, I think weaponsry probably plays a lot into that. Um, I'm also reminded of, uh, Rebels with, uh, the Mandalorian cast member, uh, there, uh, a character there, Sabine, who at one point gets, uh, acquires, uh, the Darksaber. And uh, it looks like that's a pretty big deal as far as uh, the way the Mandalorians treat uh, that particular weapon as far as being um, important to them. Um, and it sort of uh, sub- it sort of puts her 
in a place of reverence that she didn't have before. So I do think that there is a history that we've seen in, uh, in just like some of the Dave Filoni stuff that, um, that weapons do mean something to them, just like armor does. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I find it interesting that him saying that comes up in the same episode where we see someone use the force for the first time. Mm. So I'm yes. wondering if we're going to get some sort of a, ideological conflict between those two at some point in this series. I think that'd be kind of cool. I think there's also, um, you know, the weapon that he uses, the fork, is not something that I can recall uh, Boba Fett using in the movies, although I think he had it in the holiday special when he was introduced. <laughs> Are um, we counting that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I I think that um we get to see like it does various things like it blows out. It shoots out fire. Um it also, you know, does other things as well. So I think the fact that they've established that the Mandalorians more than one Mandalorians use this particular weapon of choice shows you that there is a like there is a system of how they um uh, carry their weapons and what weapons mean something and make up whether or not they're a Mandalorian or not. Like if you see, you, know, you don't see other tribes or other warriors or other races carrying around those weapons. Right. Yeah, totally. Uh, okay. Next question here. The Mandalorian was outraged when the Jawas were making him trade for his own property that they stole. So yet he makes his living as a bounty hunter. So I'm curious what you guys think is one morally superior to the other. Ashley, what do you think? Well, it's always interesting what moral distinctions people make based on their own perspectives. Because, I mean, when you really think about it, like killing and kidnapping people, which is what the Mandalorian does, is not really better than the Jawas who steal stuff. (laughs) I mean, they technically aren't even physically hurting anyone. So my guess is that the Mandalorian is maybe going to grapple with some of the moral compromises he's had to make as part of his work in order to work as a bounty hunter. And maybe some of these views will be challenged. I think, especially when he sees that the bounty he's been sent after is this baby, you know, we can kind of see him struggling, you know, he doesn't want to hurt this child. So I I think that we're going to, the Mandalorian will have to confront his own moral code and maybe some of his views will change throughout the show. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Mike, what do you think? Well, uh, yes, we've seen that he's a bounty hunter. He admits as much. uh, But um, it doesn't mean that necessarily he's a quote-unquote bad guy. Um, And there's nothing much that we see him do so far that establishes him as somebody that we can't really um, uh, root for. Editor's note, except for, you know, murdering a bunch of Jawas that were just stealing his stuff. Um, the, the, the target that he picks up in the first episode is a, you know, it's kind of a sleazy con guy, right. That we can't trust. And, you know, I'm not saying that he's deserved to, to die, but certainly, um, you're just not a Horatio Sands fan. (laughs) 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 Well, he doesn't seem like an outstanding citizen. Let's put it that way. Yes. Um, uh, so, uh, and, and. When he takes this uh, task, uh, when he takes this mission, he's not, he doesn't know what the target is. Um, once he does know what the target is, when faced with the choice of um, bringing it in dead or alive, he, in fact, uh, does pretty extreme, uh, he, he, he acts pretty extreme in order to keep this uh, baby alive. Yeah. Uh, this child alive. So by taking out uh, IG-11. So, um, so we've seen that he has a code. Uh, in fact... 
that when he gets paid a down payment for this mission, the first thing he does is, yeah, he upgrades his armor a little bit, but he also um, gives a substantial amount to to families that are in the Mandalorian clan that he's he's a part of. So he's got a code, and I think this is just sort of a, another way of say uh, of of us an example of that. Where yes, he's. He's not just going to steal to steal. He's not going to, um, you know, just uh, create chaos. He's a guy that really um, uh, has a code and wants to stick by it. And anybody who doesn't uh, doesn't have that same code, he's he doesn't have any respect for. Yeah, I. Uh, it's interesting because it just seems like it's them being annoyed by being challenged by each other, right? Like he's just annoyed that they took his stuff, and the Jawas are annoyed that he's messing with them and trying to get it back. Oh yeah, just a bunch of annoyance and murder. I, I the difference is actually, like you said, I think this kind of stuff is really going to make him question his moral position and what really matters to him. I don't see that happening with the Jawas. They got their nasty little egg. I think they were yeah. happy. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Wow, you guys f-ing hate the Jawas, don't you? Okay, let's talk about the child, the Yoda child. Um, not that is not not that it is the child of Yoda or Yoda as a child. I'm not making that jump, but uh, <laughs> the Yoda-like child. Obviously, he is force sensitive, um, and so we talked on the first episode of this show a lot about uh, his race. How we've only seen Yoda and Yaddle at this point, both of which were Jedi's, and so we're like, does his whole race have force sensitivity? Is this just a coincidence? We don't know the name of the race. There's a whole lot we don't know about that. But um, now that we know he's Force-sensitive, what are you guys thinking that this says about his identity and his race at large? Ashley, what do you think? Well, as soon as I saw Baby Yoda in Episode 1, I was super (laughs) curious to see whether the creature would (laughs) end up using the Force. Like you said, we've only seen basically two people from the species, and both are Jedi. So I was really looking forward to seeing what they would do with that. And then, so of course, once we got to this part in episode two, I was really excited to see this. And I think this is a really interesting place for them to go with the show. And I think regardless of whether this creature is or isn't related to Yoda or is a clone or whatever number of things it could be, I am definitely invested now to see where it goes and just to learn why so many people are after this child. Like the client tries to hire the Mandalorian to get this child and then the Mandalorian fights a bunch of people who are trying to protect or keep the child for themselves. There's definitely something more going on here and I feel like the fact that this child has force powers just adds to the sense of intrigue surrounding the mystery. Totally. What do you think, Mike? Absolutely. Uh, that's Yeah, that's all true. I mean, we, we certainly don't know enough to, to make any sort of uh, dis, you know definite uh, answers as to what the child's identity is, but um, yeah, I I find it um, not coincidental that we're getting this show now, right before Rise of Skywalker, uh, that the um, the second to last episode airs before the movie, and the finale airs after it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think that's a a scheduling um, uh, coincidence. Uh, and, you know, with the fact that, uh, with Rise of the Skywalker coming out, we, we're seeing, or we're hearing that there's return of the Emperor, right? So a lot of, a lot of, uh, how is that going to work? And the obvious thing is clones. Uh, um, I think the obvious answer is clones to uh, that answer and maybe this one too. Um, I think 
there's some reason to believe that the doctor that we saw in the first episode that wants him mm-hmm. alive is is related to um, uh, cloning. So um, I, I think that's where the center of the pendulum is swinging, that this is a, a clone of Yoda. Um, and, and obviously that's a that's a pretty big leap of what they I, but I think that's where they're going. And I don't know if there could be a twist there. Um, but certainly the implications of that are uh, pretty outstanding. Like if there is a clone of Yoda out there, um, it is it is like it is a lot to take in. And what does that mean for, you know, the, what we're going to see it right in the last movie? Who knows? Well, that would mean you can clone force sensitivity, which is right. yeah. a gigantic box of worms. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's insane. That's a scary you power. Just, you just add a dose of midichlorians. It's yeah. that easy. <laughs> you can build your own Jedi army. Uh, you know, and there's also rumors that uh, that Anakin, is his birth was not, uh, let's say, a normal birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's rumors that um, Ray is the same thing. So, you know, I mean, this this whole issue of cloning and, and how beings are created and whether or not the Force is capable of doing stuff like that, I think is something that, that maybe is going to be, I mean, who knew that that would be maybe what the last movie is going to deal with? Yeah. Oh, man. So much good stuff coming. Who knows? <laughs> um, but when the child used the Force, Quill and the Mandalorian didn't seem to understand what was happening between the child and the creature. Do you think that they don't even know about the Force? Because it seems like the Force is this universally known thing throughout the Star Wars canon, but they certainly don't seem to understand what was going on there. So, Ashley, do you think that they don't even know about it? Yeah, it's this is one of the interesting things to me about some of the stuff we've seen that has taken place after Return of the Jedi. I mean, when you look back to the prequels, it seems like the Jedi were everywhere. Like they were involved in galactic politics, you know, they were a big part of the Clone Wars. And so when you think about it, this is not really that long after the Clone Wars. So it seems kind of weird to me that people would just forget about the Jedi and the Force. But it could be that the Jedi, if they were kind of more focused on Coruscant, maybe getting a little too involved in galactic politics and kind of isolating themselves and being secretive about the training of the Jedi, that maybe common people outside of Coruscant didn't really know that much about the force Mm. or maybe the information they had was kind of scattered and spotty. Like what does the force do? Are there a lot of misconceptions? And um, I just think it's interesting that maybe people outside kind of that narrow circle, like in the outer rim out here, don't really know about the force and the Jedi and what they do. So I am curious to see what the Mandalorian will be learning more about the force. I'm sure he will be considering that the child has these force powers. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's just so weird to think that someone doesn't know what it is, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Mike, what do you think? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, as we pointed out, they are on a planet that, you know, that it's designed for folks to get away from everything. So, yeah. uh, so I think, you know, um, the fact, and it's one thing to hear stories about them, but then to actually see it with your own yeah. eyes, uh, that's another thing where you just don't make that connection automatically. You're like, I don't, like, okay, I've heard about the Force, but I've never seen it. So, and certainly you wouldn't expect it from, you know, uh, a little creature in a, uh, in a, in a hover cart, you know, like yeah. a, a hover crib, if you will. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, 
I also think that, yes, I mean, it's established that uh, it's interesting the way that they play with this, too, because a few scenes before that, when the Mandalorian is trying to uh, repair his his arm, uh, administer some sort of uh, yeah. medicine to it, you know, the, the, the child figure, like, gets out of the uh, hover crib and, and starts, like, moving, and he starts, like, you know, moving his hand and concentrating, and we all know what's coming. We're like, right. oh, look, he's going to... We're waiting um, for the wound to close up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. But, of course, the Mandalorian just picks him up. It's like, oh, you got out of the crib. Here, back to you go. Like, he doesn't He doesn't acknowledge what he's doing at mm-hmm. all. Um, I don't know if force healing is a thing that we've ever seen before. Um, I don't yeah. think so. So I don't know, you know, other than, like, E.T., which is, I guess, technically part of the Star Wars universe. They <laughs> showed up in the prequels. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but um, yeah, so it, it, it's it's it might be something that they've heard of. You know, they might have heard someone have the expression "May the Force be with you" or something like that. But but I don't think it, we're not led to believe that they've had either one of them have had any personal experience with it. Yeah, I think. Because Quill didn't seem to know what it was either, but I think he might not be totally truthful about mm, that. Could be. Um, he certainly has a past behind him, and he may just be choosing to keep certain certain things close to the chest. I don't know. Um, but one of my favorite parts of this episode is at the end of it when the Mandalorian and Quill sort of have their final interaction before he takes the baby off the planet. Um, and he says to Quill, I cannot thank you enough. Please allow me to give you a portion of the reward. So what do you think that this says about the character of the Mandalorian? Ashley, what do you think? Yeah, I think this just adds to the whole how fascinating this character is, that even though he is in a morally questionable profession, many would say he does have a sense of honor and justice. He wants to be fair. He doesn't like just taking from people or like being indebted to them. He wants to make sure that he's treating them well in return. So this just makes me even more curious to see what he does with the child, because we've seen him, you know, display hints of compassion and um, kindness to other people. So I think he's going to have a real problem turning this child over to the Imperial, not Imperials, whoever the client is. Yeah. And I keep wondering if, that I, that whole idea of offering part of the reward, if that's like sort of intrinsic in the Mandalorian code or if he's breaking with tradition yeah, and doing that. that could be interesting. So I don't really know. What do you think, Mike? Um, well, yeah, I certainly think that uh, it does say, uh, again, you know, the fact that he's got a code. Um, in fact, in the first episode, we see, even though we it's established that he doesn't like droids a lot, um, he's still at the beginning of the encounter with uh, IG-11. He still offers to go in with him um, and That's split true. the reward with him, rather than just not like you know shoot him right there and to take the right. reward for himself. Um, so it's established that he, he, yeah, he's willing to work with others, and I think even more so to that point. After that, not only when he when you know Quill says uh, I don't want the reward. Mandalorian even reaches out to him and says, you know, you're pretty cool. Like, you want to hang out? Like, yeah, you wanna, come join like, me. Yeah. You want to join me? And, and <laughs> he's like, he's like, nah, that's not for me. But we get, we, you know, he's lonely. Mm-hmm. Like, he, yes. he wants, he wants a, um, uh, not just a companion, maybe, but, um, you know, Star Wars has this, this sort of history with these 
um, characters that are orphaned, that need or want a mentor, father, mother figures, mm-hmm. parent figures, and and they've got they've established that relationship, and the Mandalorian kind of digs it and wants to, it to continue. So, um, I, I you know I think that's it didn't even it, and what's interesting is it doesn't feel out of place. I mean they've done their homework on this show. So it doesn't feel like it's out of nowhere where he asks him that. It's it's like, oh, no, that, that kind of makes sense. One of the things that intrigues me about that scene is when he declines it, when he declines to go with him, he tells him that he spent a lot, a lot of his life in servitude. Oh, yeah. Well, and I didn't, I didn't throw this question to you guys beforehand, but I'm curious what your reaction to that is. What do you, what do you think Quill's past could look like? Well, he's, uh, I, I, I believe he's an Ognon. Right. Uh, I think yes. uh, it's established that even though, I mean, again, that's a little bit of fan service, but it's still he's an Ogna. Where, where have we seen so, them before? Uh, those are those are the, the workers on Bespin. Oh, OK. Uh, Got it. Yeah. Cloud so, City. yeah. So yeah. he's you know, if if he's true to that race, then, yeah, they've they've got a history that race. We've already seen it in Star Wars where they have a history of just being these like little worker bees. Okay, so then this is an instance where our listeners get to enjoy you guys educating me, the Star Wars dope, which is good. <laughs> I could be wrong. That's entertaining. Um, we, we, we've never heard uh, an Ognot like speak, uh, you know, the King's English before, and certainly we've not, uh, you know, I never thought of them when I was watching Empire. Hey, they look like Nick Nolte. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's good. It's a good voice cast right there. Um. Do you think the Mandalorian cares more about the bounty or the child at this point where we are right now? Kind of seems like he's headed towards caring about the child as in the future. But right now, what do you think, Ashley? I honestly don't know. Um, like you said, he does care about the child. But, I mean, not turning it over to the client would put his reputation as a bounty hunter at risk. It could mm-hmm. result in him having a bounty placed on him, and now he has to go on the run. And so I think he has some hard choices ahead of him. And I'm not even sure if he knows maybe yet what he's going to do. Like he's heading off the planet, but he's going to have some definite difficult choices to make. And I think he's going to struggle. I think he's ultimately going to side with the child, but it could be a little bit of a bumpy journey to get there. Let's hope so. Yeah, (laughs) that makes for more interesting (laughs) viewing. What do you think, Mike? Well, sure. I mean, it does seem like... uh, you know, um, if the mission is over, like, well, we've still got like eight episodes or so to go. Like, so, um, yeah, I, I don't get the sense that he's headed right back to deliver uh, the child to the client right away. Um, now, I do think, though, that I don't know if we're going to see Quill again. I know. But I love I the fact so. that even I love the fact that he like drops just a little bit of guilt on him right at the end because the last thing he says is like good luck i hope you i hope that kid brings you a handsome reward yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> like you know like you know you should yeah good luck with that kid um and if you're just going to turn him in well good luck to you too um so i, I got a feeling that you know I, I our our hero so to speak we'll put them in quotes i guess uh is not uh, gonna go and turn him in right away. I think he's off to investigate further. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I think if he doesn't care about the child more than the bounty, I think he at least cares more about finding out 
what's going on right. than he does about getting the bounty because he, I mean, he took out IG-11 in order to protect the child. Now, I guess one other motivation for that could have been he didn't want to split the bounty, but he doesn't seem like that kind of guy, you know? And the fact that he offers Quill a portion of it later on would seem yeah. to confirm that. So that seemed like a defensive maneuver. And so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's loving this kid yet, but I think he certainly knows that people aren't being straight with him, and I think he wants to know why. Yes. At the very least, the kid saved his life. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know how the Mandalorians feel about life debts or anything like that. But I mean, certainly he owes this kid a little bit of uh, consideration just because of that. That's true. Very true. It certainly seems like. You know, we've sort of, this little two-episode arc here, now we're off of whatever planet this is, Tatooine, whatever it may be. (laughs) We're off into space now, and we're going to start to get a wider view of this universe. Um, So my last question here for you guys is just, what are you looking forward to, Ashley? Well, I'm definitely looking forward to meeting some of the other characters that we've seen in previews or read about in articles. Um, Cara Dune, I believe, is Mm -hmm. um, one of the characters that I'm really curious to find out i think she's an ex like rebel soldier and i'm really curious to see how she will relate to the story in this whole mess involving the bounty and the child that the mandalorian's gotten into and i'm really curious to learn more about the client and what that scientist why they want baby yoda and just how this show may explain some of that period between return of the jedi and the force awakens like are we going to see some of the origins of the first order here get some hints about, you know, what the heck Palpatine is doing in episode nine. So I think, um, like someone said earlier, it's not a coincidence that this show is happening very close to the rise of Skywalker. And I think the show is just going to get, keep getting more exciting and more intriguing as it goes on. Definitely. Mike, what are you looking forward to? Ming-Na Wen. Yes. Uh, I I am really a, a fan of hers. Uh, loved, loved, loved her character on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, uh, the promo pictures that I've seen of her as uh, some sort of other, I think, bounty hunter, assassin character. Um, I think Fennec Shand is her name, something like that. Um, uh, not that it seems to be, not that it seems to matter mentioning names on this show, because uh, they haven't done that to anybody. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only show where i'm two episodes in and i don't know anybody's name (laughs) i think ig ig unit was the closest we got to (laughs) exactly and i don't even know if he was named um but uh um no i'm i'm super excited to see how uh she fits into things and uh yeah just to see her go uh uh, yeah that's that's going to be exciting and yes the implications are fine i think even though this looks like uh, it's going to be, hey, um, this is your just simple space a space western story. Um, certainly, it's got a lot of tropes of the westerns from back in the day. Um, I think with just the child alone, the the title of this episode, we see that it's going to have deeper implications towards the Star Wars universe. Absolutely, it the vibe of it reminds me of. Um, there was a Marvel comic a few years back focused on Cable when Cable was running through time with the mutant Hope, who was a little child. She was, I think she was the, 
there was this long period where no mutants had come and then she was the first new mutant to come around and it was like a spark of hope for mutant kind and he's traveling through time with this little girl trying to protect her and it kind of has that vibe for me which i'm enjoying and I'm, it's clear that neither of you have ever read that. <laughs> it sounds no. cool, though. <laughs> it's good. Go check it out. Um, that is the end of my questions. Was there anything about this episode that you guys didn't get a chance to say that you want to say? Uh, I'm trying to think if there's... I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, it was shorter than last week's. Yeah. Um, I, I, didn't, I thought these were going to be more, than, more like an hour. Uh, but, uh, apparently they're just long enough as when the budget runs out. No, just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) who knows? Maybe we'll get a two hour movie next week. I mean, well, yeah, it's true. And I like the fact that it's telling us, you know, it's letting the story and dictate how long these are. Yes. Um, because they don't feel padded. Um, obviously the, the, it's going at a deliberate pace. I mean, this is not a... Uh, an action-packed, very fast-moving show. It's got a lot of interesting things that happen in it, but it's not like... I mean, it's taken us a while to get to know the characters, the environment, uh, even though it's familiar. um, Very familiar. Too familiar in some cases. Uh, (laughs) But... uh, um, And, you know, exactly how the plot's going to develop over these next... uh, few episodes is going to be the real uh, fun thing to watch. I know. I can't wait to see. Ashley, anything else you wanted to throw out there? No, I agree with all of that. Um, I believe that I saw somewhere that they have already begun shooting season two. So that's kind of exciting to hear. Hopefully that's correct. But um, just knowing that the story will continue and I will be very curious to see if like this season tells like one complete story or if they will leave us with a huge cliffhanger and we just have to wait. But overall, I'm really pleased with uh, what Disney plus is doing with this. And I can't wait for some of the other Disney plus star Wars stories that we're going to be seeing in the near future. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you for joining me today. Um, Mike, why don't you let everybody know kind of where they can find ESO, what you guys are doing over there. Give us that whole pitch. Well, um, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, uh, we're on the Earth Station One podcast weekly, uh, which, uh, you know, you can find at earthstation1.com or esonetwork.com. Uh, this week, we are recording our 500th episode. Oh, my gosh. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Mike and I have been doing this for almost 10 years. And uh, we are we are recording, actually, um, two episodes this week. We're recording 499 which is uh, a first for us. It is just Mike and I for like an hour or an hour and a half, however long it takes before we want to kill each other. <laughs> um, uh, just talking about, I guess, the last 10 years, or we haven't really even dictated a, a, a set outline for what we're going to do. We're just going to hang out and talk for a while. Uh, it's been with no guests. We've just never done that before. And for those um, of you that may not be familiar with ESO, Mike here is not just being schizophrenic and also referring to himself in the third person. <laughs> He's referring to Mike Faber. <laughs> yes, yes, Mike Faber. Director Mike Faber, my, my partner in crime, so to speak. Um, and, and then uh, on Wednesday, we're going to be recording um, our episode 500. We're going to be doing that live at a local comic shop. We're going to be nice. uh, we're doing it Facebook Live so everybody can join in, um, and uh, we're just going to celebrate and have. We've got a, a couple of interesting topics we're going to bring up specifically that hopefully can get people involved, which is what we like doing. So, um, so that's that's. Uh, and then you know the week after that, we just go back to doing our own thing. Ever uh, you know. 
There you go. Well, where can people find all of that? Where can they hunt that down and check it uh, out? They can find us uh, at earthstation1.com or esonetwork.com. Cool. And then, Ashley, why don't you just remind everybody what you do with Earth Station One and what you do with us and why we all love you and you're so awesome. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, I, uh, I blog for the Earth Station One um, website, and I also do a weekly movie blurb called Box Office Buzz, a quick rundown of all the new movies coming out in theaters each weekend. And then I also blog for the Story Geeks website. So keeps me busy, but I really enjoy it. It's always great to have a place to geek out with other fans. Well, we are very blessed to have you. We highly we- value what you do for us. And we, we do too. We, we, we love sharing. Aw, thanks. You guys are making me blush. <laughs> That's it for today's show. Jay and I want to thank Ashley Pauls, Victoria Fox, and Mike Gordon for joining us for these episodes. Coming up next week on the Story Geeks podcast, it's more Star Wars goodness as we resume our series on several facets of the Star Wars universe, all leading up to the release of The Rise of Skywalker. Don't miss that show or any of these upcoming shows. Subscribe today on your preferred podcast provider. And don't forget to head on over to the Story Geeks Talk Disney Plus and subscribe there too to hear the rest of the weekly series on The Mandalorian. And if you want to vote on upcoming show topics, get access to our discussion questions and prompts, or even join us live when we record a live podcast, please consider becoming a member of the Story Geeks Club. For more information, visit thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories, and always seek the truth. Special thanks to all the members of our Story Geeks Club. You can become part of the club for only $2 a month. $2 a month members, our friendly neighborhood club members, get access to Jay's almost daily journals, short thoughts from him as he goes through his day. If you upgrade to $3 a month, you can vote on upcoming show topics. At $5 a month, our Guardians of the Solar System tier, you get all our discussion questions and prompts before each show comes out. Our Guardians of the Solar System are Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Justin Weaver, Mary Baldwin, Ray DeLeon, and Wade Johnson. At $8 a month, a tier we call our Cosmic Heroes, you get to choose an aftercast topic for every series. Our cosmic heroes are Jim Baldwin, Monty Thigpen, and Nick Prokop. And finally, at $19 a month, you get a free t-shirt and you get to join us on an aftercast every single month. Our one extra special mastermind of multiverse mindness is Connie Moe. We appreciate all the members of the Story Geeks Club, even those we haven't mentioned by name. If you would like to support the show by joining the Story Geeks Club, please head over to thestorygeeks.com.